from the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Democrats in Lansing achieved their first budget last week. Nearly $82 billion in spending on everything from schools to roads to social services. We're going to talk today about what's in the budget and how Democrats plan to prioritize the spending. Are they keeping their promises? We'll also hear from Republicans who aren't happy with the spending and from the Michigan League for Public Policy about what the budget accomplishes. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you decided to join us. Show me your budget, and I'll tell you what you value. That's a line from President Joe Biden, and it echoes a sentiment that lots of people have had about budgets for a long time. The idea that they are moral documents that outline the things that we actually cherish. Words mean something, but only if they're backed by action. And in politics and government, a budget is one of the biggest actions our representatives ever take. Last week, the first Democratic majority legislature in roughly 40 years in Lansing showed what it is that they really prioritize, what it is that they value. They passed a budget that totals almost $82 billion, an $8 billion increase over last year's budget. And they're sending a lot of that money to things that they have said need more investment. There's about $19 billion, for instance, that's going to education. Almost $600 million is going to Michigan's water infrastructure, including replacing lead lines. $416 million is going to fix the roads and to other public infrastructure projects. And $328 million is going to mental health and school safety projects. So how big of a deal is all of this? What does it tell us about Michigan Democrats and their biggest priorities? And why are many Michigan Republicans upset about the process by which this budget deal got hashed out? A little later in the program, we're going to talk with a Republican in the state house about what he makes of the budget. We'll also talk with the CEO of a public policy nonprofit to help us understand how the state is doing in its efforts to reduce inequality in Michigan. But before we get there, we just want to talk about what this budget is, what it does, how we got here, and what to expect over the next 12 months. Lauren Gibbons is a reporter who covers Michigan politics for Bridge Michigan. Lauren, welcome back to Detroit Today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Alethea Kasman is the managing editor at Gongwa News Service Michigan. Uh, Alethea, welcome back to Detroit Today as well. Good morning, Stephen. Happy to be here today. So, Lauren, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Put this all in context for us. How big of a deal is this almost $82 billion budget? And how much of this big spending budget comes from COVID relief funds and other things? I mean, that's a huge number. And lots of people, I think, have their eyes popping because of it. Right, right. It is a massive budget. It's, uh, you know, the 81.7 billion combined. Um, it, and it does, uh, it does use a decent bit of some of this extra surplus that the state has had um, is sitting around uh, basically from the ramifications of COVID. So um, it, it does cover a lot of things. Um, it increases funding for schools. Uh, free lunches are included, an increase in pu- per-pupil funding. Um, we've got a lot of in- investments in water infrastructure, roads and 
bridges, as you said, um, even investments in things like parks, affordable housing. Um, a lot of these things are things that Democrats have mentioned for a long time, um, things that they've said they've wanted to get through. But it is significant, I think, that they did actually do it um, in uh, in the time frame that they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of Republicans who were concerned about how big this budget was, um, about the about the process and how um, how it kind of all came together um, in the last uh, in the last hours uh, before it got introduced and passed. But um, I, it is significant. Uh, the budget is due in September. Uh, there's been a push in the last several years uh, to get these things done before lawmakers go out for the summer. Um, so schools and local governments can plan their budgets accordingly. And they did do that uh, with at least some Republican support enough to make the budget go into effect when it needs to go into effect. Yeah, there was some question about timing. Uh, we had Lori Pohetsky on the program recently. Uh, she's the speaker pro tempore. Um, and uh, she had said that, that July, early July, was really their, their goal. And, and she seemed like uh, she wasn't quite sure that they would be able uh, to make it, but that was uh, the goal. Uh, it, it's been a while since, since we haven't had this kind of standoff, right, between the governor and the legislature that takes us into the fall uh, with the budget. Uh, what, what did they, Lauren, what did they get to to with Republicans to be able to 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 do this. What were what were some of the I guess the compromises that they were able to make? Yeah. So uh, Representative Sarah Leitner, she's the ranking Republican in House Appropriations, and she was one of the Republicans to support it. And um, some of the areas that she highlighted as reasons that she supported the bill was uh, the commitment to investing in education. Um, adding additional resources and security improvements. And um, also she was, uh, she highlighted the commitment to fiscal responsibility. Um, she liked that some of the budget goes to paying down some debt um, and, and reducing the state's overall debt burden. So those are a couple of things that she highlighted. Um, you know, there were also, uh, as, as my colleagues reported, um, there were a number of pet projects for lawmakers uh, throughout the state, but some of those did go to Republican districts. Um, so the, the negotiations included Republicans enough to at least get uh, get some of the key players on board here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alethea, uh, there's a lot of money in this budget going towards things like education, public safety broadband and physical infrastructure, what stands out as uh, the biggest deal in terms of investment? Democrats have talked a lot about an investment agenda that they say is overdue here in Michigan. Where, where are, are the high points, I guess, for, for that, that issue? Yeah, so I think, you know, Democrats have really branded, you know, this budget as reinvesting in Michigan. You know, this is the first time that they've, you know, had complete control, you know, of this this process in, you know, four decades, they've, you know, even when they've been in the majority in the House or have had the governor's office, they've still had to, you know, deal with a Republican majority in the Senate. So this is really their moment. And they, you know, they did a lot. I think, you know, the, the I mean, almost a billion dollars in specific projects, a lot of that money, you know, was going to cities, um, you know, the Democrats said, you know, have been ignored. I mean, there's a $50 million you know, project for downtown Pontiac in here. Um, there's almost $200 million for universal free breakfast and lunch. There's an expansion in preschool funding to move toward, you know, universal preschool for four-year-olds in the state. Um, Democrats have gotten closer um, or accomplished, I think, you know, an, a weighted per-pupil funding formula where, you know, students that cost more to educate are getting more money. So like more money for special education students and other at-risk students. Um, increases in university and community college funding. Um, you know, so they really, you know, I think also funding for lead line replacement, I would, I should mention. So there's, you know, there's a lot in here that I think Democrats can say, um, you know, we, we did what, 
you know, we said we would do if we had control of this process. Yeah. Uh, importantly, I think this moves us closer to universal pre-K, which is a discussion we've been having in Michigan for a really long time. Uh, there's 240, $254 million going to expand free pre-K for up to 5,600 kids. How, how big a deal uh, is that, Alethea, uh, in, in the overall budget? Uh, you know, I think it's a big deal because it's a key, um, you know, uh, priority for the governor. She mentioned it in her um, state of the state, I believe, certainly in her, her budget recommendation. Uh, you know, it's important for, you know, when we talk about um, issues with uh, workers, this is important to get, you know, if every four-year-old is in uh, school, you know, that, you know, that's good for, you know, freeing up people to be able to, to go to work. I think there's certainly, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in the in the years to come, some wrinkles in sort of the Great Start Readiness Program. Like I know Fridays normally aren't a day that they're in for this, you know, universal pre-K program. So I'm sure there's a lot of things that still need to be fixed, especially, you know, if we have a worker shortage um, out there in general, we certainly have it for preschool teachers too. Uh, but this is certainly, I think, a first step um, and we'll see, you know, what they can use this funding for and how much they can really build out this program if we make it, you know, a key pillar in the state. Yeah. I'm talking with Alethea Kasbin, who's the managing editor at Gongwar News Service in uh, Lansing. Also with us is Laura Gibbon. Lauren Gibbon, she is uh, the reporter who covers Michigan politics for Bridge Michigan. We're talking about the new budget coming out of Lansing, the first budget crafted by the Democratic majority that took over the state legislature in January. Uh, we would love to hear from you about what you think of the budget. What do you think of the effort that Democrats are making to budget differently than Republican majorities have done in the past? Uh, what do you think are the biggest challenges that we face here in Michigan, the challenges that require money and investment to solve? Where do you think our tax money should be going to solve these problems? Uh, also, if you had to make a list of urgent issues here in the state, what would what would be on it? And if you had the power to decide how to spend the money, how would you do it? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. A little later, we are going to hear from Republican State Representative John Roth, who represents the 104th House District. That is part of northern Michigan, including Traverse City. He's somebody who is not thrilled with the final deal over the budget. We're going to hear about his objections. We'd also love to hear from you if uh, you'd think that this is too much money to spend. It's $82 billion, about $8 billion more than last year's budget. Uh, do you think we should be spending it differently? Are there other things you think we ought to be concentrating on than what the legislature has decided? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones, and uh, we can also hear from from you on on Twitter. Um, I, I want to talk, Lauren, a little about uh, infrastructure. $600 million goes to water infrastructure and replacing lead lines. That's another issue that we have uh, struggled with for quite a bit here in Michigan, especially the lead line replacement. Does this speed that up significantly, this investment? Yeah, I think it's a pretty big investment, at least as far as the lead line service replacement goes. Um, water infrastructure, uh, generally speaking, has been on the minds of a lot of Democrats, especially in some of these cities with aging lines. Um, certainly Flint uh, really highlighted the issue, but there's a lot of other cities around the state that have really been dealing with this problem in a big way. Um, other infrastructure investments, uh, there's uh, 80 million going towards critical bridge repairs, another 181.6 million for critical infrastructure projects, um, and a pretty big overall Michigan Department of Transportation budget, 6.6 .6 billion. Um, so there's there is a lot of money going to um, going to infrastructure. Um, a lot of that is dedicated to local projects, which has been a real a real point of contention in the infrastructure conversation. Um, it's it's uh, road 
funding and bridge funding and a lot of these infrastructure projects, while obviously the state-owned infrastructure is important to fix as well, a lot of local communities have also been struggling to pay for some of these projects. So that was a, a lot of the hope that went into this budget to kind of make up some of the gaps that uh, they've been experiencing. All that said, uh, Michigan still has an ongoing issue with uh, long-term infrastructure spending. Mm -hmm. A lot of studies that we've seen uh, from industry experts show that there needs to be a huge ongoing investment, um, more than what the state is currently spending, um, to, to really fix everything. Um, we'll see if that comes down the pipe, but uh, at least this budget uh, goes, it, it starts that process. And roads, uh, fix the damn roads. The governor said that quite famously during her first campaign. It's $460 million to fix roads and build uh, public infrastructure. Is that getting her closer to delivering? And again, I know there's a lot going on. And if you drive any of the roads here in Michigan, you see how much construction is happening. Is this an advancement, I guess, of of her delivering on that promise? I don't think there's any one budget that could ultimately <laughs> fix the damn road. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that would be We need more money than lot. that. <laughs> that would be asking a lot of an individual budget. Um, and yeah, I think uh, at least uh, from what we have seen from where the roads are currently at, the projections, um, it, it does appear that um, there could be needing some additional um, increases down the road in that spending uh, that is long term, not just uh, individual um, allocations year by year. Um, that's it's it's a big problem. It needs a huge amount of money, even more than what we're seeing in this budget that was benefited by all of this one-time surplus yeah. funding from COVID. So it's a it's a big problem and there's not a great solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, big Neo on Twitter says, Republicans should be required to show at which step of the budget process they have an issue. And that was, it will, and that will reveal the problem that they actually have, like supporting schools or mental health projects. Uh, stay tuned, uh, Big Neo. We are going to talk with, a Republican representative uh, in in just a, a little bit. I want to go to the phones really quickly before we have to end the segment. Uh, Jason in Detroit, what's on your mind? Hi, good morning. Thanks yeah. for taking the call and thanks for doing this report on the budget. I'm really happy to hear it. Um, I've got a question about this year's budget compared to last year's budget in terms of overall numbers. I'm not mistaken, and, and I can't look it up because I'm driving, but I seem to recall that last year's budget was in the $40 billion range. Is that accurate? And if so, um, how do we justify going almost double? Yeah. Jason, great question, uh, and and I'm going to have Alethea Kasbin uh, answer that. We have been talking, though, about the money that ha is coming to the state one-time money, lots of it from federal sources, a lot of it COVID-related, uh, the infrastructure uh, bill and things like that. That's adding to the budget uh, as well. And that's why the, that's at least part of the reason that you see those numbers. But Alethea, uh, I'll let you answer directly. Yeah, I don't have the exact numbers of last year's budget in front of me, but I know it's not it's not double. I think part of the the confusion when we talk about overall budget numbers is we generally split it up between education and then mm -hmm. the agency budgets. Mm -hmm. And the agencies are generally in the 50 45 to 50ish billion dollar range. This year it was 57 billion. Um but even when we talk about that, you know, a lot of that is federal money for things like Medicaid. Um you know, that's a big big chunk of our budget our our general fund that lawmakers can really play with is around $13 billion this, this year, this budget they just passed. And it was a little less last year, but that, you know, that is bigger. Um, even, you know, five years ago, it was around 10 to 11, you know, billion that lawmakers really had control of when you're talking about departments and, you know, corrections, road funding, things like that. Um, so that, you know, that's like a 30%, you know, increase in, you know, five years, uh, uh, and the general fund really sat uh, pretty stagnant mm -hmm. in, in the years leading up to COVID. Um, and, you know, we can talk all day about things that led to that, whether it's, you know, 
more spending, so more sales tax money in our general fund, uh, COVID money, um, you know, you know, lots of things have really contributed to that going up. So certainly it has increased. Um, it's not double, though. Yeah. Uh, and the, the fear some people have about these kinds of increases is that they are too reliant on, on one-time money and that they may be building, you know, infrastructure that will require money in the out years. So, Alethea, give us a sense, just a quick thumbnail, really, of how this budget deals with those issues. Is this overcommitting beyond what we're getting from the federal government, or is this really relying on, on that growth that you were talking about? Tax receipts, for sure, are, are going up right now. I think, you know, lawmakers really tried to focus extra money on one-time things. So, like, I'm giving you this amount of money for this project. Mm -hmm. Now, will in the future, will cities, you know, other entities, you know, want that and hope for that again? I mean, yes. So you are creating a little bit of a problem. You know, people will, you know, want to get, you know, money if they can get it. Uh, But I think lawmakers are trying to say, like, here, this is what you get for this project. um, And that's it. Like we're not, you know, this isn't an ongoing new program. Um, This is one time money for you to, you know, make this transformational change in your city or your organization. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Alethea Kasbin of Gongwar and Lauren Gibbons of Bridge, Michigan. Great to have you both here to break down the budget for us. Thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks, Yeah, thanks so much. When we come back, we are going to continue talking about the budget, but we're going to hear about the opposition to some of the things that lawmakers want to spend money on. Republican State Representative John Roth will join us to say why he's taking issue, not just with the budget itself, but with the process that Democrats indulge to get it done. Also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Your neighborhood. Your community. Your voice. Join the conversation on 1019 WDET. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And I'm really glad you've decided to join. As noted earlier, not everyone likes the new budget that we have out of Lansing. In fact, the majority of House Republicans voted no on what was ultimately decided. One of those Republicans is State House Rep. John Roth. He represents the 104th House District, which includes Traverse City. And he's here now to talk about why he didn't like the budget and what House Republican priorities would look like. Uh, Representative Roth, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It, uh, Welcome from Interlochen, Michigan here, where it's beautiful today and uh, the sun is out, actually. I was going to say, I'm a little jealous that you're you're up north this time of year. It is, uh, of course, gorgeous up there in the summer, and uh, uh, I I imagine that this is a a really great time of year, and this is a really great year up there. So so I want to start here. You are not a fan of the budget. As I said, you said this bloated budget fails what falls well short of the expectations. Talk about what expectations you're referring to there and uh, why you think this budget is bloated. Absolutely. Um, you know, for one thing, I was very disappointed that I couldn't vote for the education budget. I do believe education is our future, and I'm certainly very supportive of it. But looking at some of the special projects in there, um, you know, East Point uh, High School is going to get a pool. Uh, we're building a high school downstate. Just, just some of those things um, were disappointing. I thought that uh, I'm a little concerned also with some of the programs that aren't one time, like uh, free lunch and breakfast. Not that uh, low-income areas shouldn't get that, but we're also treating places like Traverse City that doesn't need it. That uh, the income level is pretty high. So 
uh, and the other programs, of course, the four, four-year-olds that are going to go to school, preschool. Uh, I, I think it's a good idea, uh, but some of my schools up here are asking for time to, to implement that since they don't have teachers. So uh, just some of the things in it, looking through it, half the things they probably supported, half the things they couldn't support. So at the end, it just it was a no button at the end on education. Um, the ominous bill, the big one, um, there were a lot, look, I understand I'm in the minority, uh, very much so, and majority uh, uh, leaders and appropriations chairs are from Lansing South, and, and I'd be naive to think that more wouldn't go south than, than north, uh, uh, but not much went north. A uh, few projects, and, and certainly I support the projects and things that came north, but, uh, um, you know, it should be should be like a 65 35 i think it was more like 80 20 this time around <laughs> so so that's a really interesting way to think about it i mean i think all, all lawmakers have to balance what they think is best for their particular constituents in whatever area of the state they represent and what's good for the state as a whole so for instance you talked about Free lunch, support for free lunch in in districts you know that that have high poverty. You represent a district that doesn't have a lot of high poverty, but the the interest of making sure kids have breakfast to go to school is a statewide concern, isn't it? Like, yeah, to oh, walk absolutely. me through walk me through how you how you make those kind of decisions. Yeah, it really is tough, and you are right. And I do have a couple poor communities that uh, would benefit from that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, what I worry hearing from teachers and that kind of thing, and and, and people, principals, superintendents, is um, that sometimes the kids just don't take advantage of that program. So how how much waste is there? That's you know, I would have rather seen it like a grant program where people could apply for it if they needed it. But it's it's across the board, and I would have liked to seen that more of a grant program for those schools that truly need it. And I, I have no problem with that. Obviously, we want our kids fed, especially in the morning, get a good start. Um, but that it is tough. You're looking through the budget. That one was really tough for me. It was uh, right down to the end of the, to the and vote. And you, you voted it, against it, that, correct? I end up voting against it at the end. I just I going through it. I just saw too many projects. That benefited Southern Michigan and Northern Michigan. We did get one thing that could be very helpful, and that is busing dollars, uh, transportation for rural schools. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 125 million for the entire state. I haven't figured out the formula yet to see where my schools will get how much, but uh, that could be a very beneficial thing for us. So, yeah, it's very tough when you're looking at things that would benefit you, and then you're looking at. Uh, uh, things that don't certainly don't benefit you uh, in your area. It, it, it is very tough. And mm-hmm. um, I would say uh, some of the conversation that I would be really frustrated at was that in the House, there was very little negotiations. The House of Representatives had very little of that. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you, you said that you feel like Republicans were excluded from the budget process in, in that. They House. really were. Talk about they why you think that was how you think that was true it was um because i can tell you one reason they didn't have to uh the house the majority had 56 votes for the budget they ended up getting all all 56 on their side so really they didn't all they needed to do is grab a few to make sure it was bipartisan and they really didn't need to negotiate with the house and uh, you know i don't know i'm not in a leadership position so i don't know you know was there try did they try uh, I'm not sure. But at the end, there were just, what, five Republicans, I think, that voted for the budget. And they got very good projects in the area. And But don't blame them. Um, but they were negotiated by the Senate. And that's that's mm-hmm. that was really the key, is the Senate had all the leverage and the House had none. Yeah. So, so this is the first time in a really long time that Democrats have had control of both houses. We've had a, a, a recent time, though, when Republicans had control of both houses in the governorship. Democrats, of course, complained of the same thing uh, when when, when yeah. that was true that that you know decisions were being made without them because they could be. 
right. in, in your mind, what's a, a more reasonable way for for the majority to engage with the minority, whether it's a Republican or a Democratic majority or minority, so that so that we don't just have this kind of back and forth where uh, where where each side feels left out when the other's in charge. Absolutely. And I, I, my thought is always a uh, 60-40 rule. You know, if we could have a rule in the House where 60% of the projects or monies go towards uh, things that the majority wants and 40% go to the minority, I think that's a fair balance. Hmm. I think uh, we get more uh, representation from northern Michigan, in particular the UP of Michigan. Uh, I think we get more balance that way if we consider it a 60-40 type split. One of our former uh, policy people in the Republican Party, um, our policy uh, for the HRCC guys, uh, he said that. He said, you know, we really tried to do that in the last few uh, terms to make sure that the minority wasn't left out. I know Sterling Heights got a million-dollar project last year for a Democratic member, and and he was very thankful for that. So uh, I think more of that needs to be done. I will say I kind of... And, 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 you know, you always want all three all three branches, but I think it's actually very good because the legislature governor was a Democrat. And you had to work together to get this done. Anything you didn't, if you didn't get a good working balance. So, uh, Representative Roth, we're having a little bit of... Trouble oh, with your phone. Um, I don't know if you're moving, but uh, <laughs> nope, sitting actually. Oh, there you go. That's much better. That's much better. Okay, I'm standing up now. Yeah. So, that's better. so, so I want to I want to talk about something else that you've said that I think is really interesting and really important. You have said that in northern Michigan, in some places in northern Michigan, people have similar needs to the needs that people have in. Detroit. And one of the most difficult things we have in politics and government, I think, is understanding that there are commonalities between southeast Michigan and northern Michigan, between western Michigan and northern Michigan. And we end up in these kind of rivalrous positions where we're all trying to get what we need for ourselves. And we don't necessarily make that connection to say, actually, if we identified the things that that we all need, we probably could make some progress on it. But I want to have you talk just a little about what you mean when you when you say that those needs are similar. Absolutely. Uh, broadband's a perfect one, right? Housing. Um, we have issues with uh, short-term rentals all over the state. Uh, if we started thinking about more of those long, bigger issues that are statewide, I think that would work out better. Uh, broadband's a huge one. Uh, Northern Michigan, we have so many hills and valleys that a lot of people get left out of having any kind of internet service at all. So, and housing, of course, everybody's dealing with housing. So we should be continuing to think about that. And I would say roads is, and bridges are number one. I wish we would have spent a billion dollars on roads and bridges. I think that would have been a more prosperous hmm. thing for the state whole, the whole state. I don't care what the money should have done. I, I know I heard you guys talk about 400 million that was put in uh, to the roads this year but it's dedicated to certain areas of the state and projects. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it should have gone to Act 51 where it could be gone out in grants and the entire state could apply for it. That would have been much more fair. So we just got to think about everything. I had a situation where last week we had a vote on something and and, and somebody said to me, well, why didn't you ask me whether, how, how that would affect downstate? And I kind of <laughs> said, when's the last time you asked me how it would affect upstate mm -hmm. northern Michigan? Oh, okay. Yeah. Good point. So we just got to communicate more. I think that's the biggest thing is make sure we're communicating across both sides of the aisle. Okay. Uh, Representative John Roth of Northern Michigan, Traverse City. Uh, enjoy that time in Interlock. And, and I really do appreciate you coming by to talk to us about uh, your feelings about the budget. Thank you. I appreciate it. And anytime, feel free to give me a call. Absolutely. 
When we come back, we're going to continue talking about the budget. We're going to switch gears just a little and talk about inequality in Michigan and how budgeting affects how we narrow the gaps that exist. Uh, Monique Stanton, who's the president and CEO of the Michigan League for Public Policy, is going to join us. We want to continue to hear from you as well on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. In Michigan, we have lots of issues with inequality and addressing things like poverty. That's why we like to talk from time to time with the Michigan League for Public Policy. It's a nonprofit policy organization that's dedicated to making economic opportunity available to everyone in our state. Uh, We usually talk to them when the budget comes out because, of course, that's a set of priorities that can be used in some cases to narrow some of the gaps that exists. So to explore that perspective, we've got Monique Stanton here with us. She is the president and CEO of the Michigan League for Public Policy. Monique, welcome back to Detroit Today. Great. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So let's start with your overall impression of the budget. How does it stack up to those that we had in past years, and how does it specifically address some of these gaps that I was just referring to? So we're really excited about the budget. We've seen a significant amount of the league's longstanding priorities reflected in the budget. I think you mentioned earlier on the show it is the biggest budget in the state's history, $80.5 billion. And, And we believe at the league, similar to I think how you kicked off your show, Our budget is policy, and it is the biggest testament of what we value. And so, in a long, for the first time in a long time, we've seen some significant investments in issues related to equity and poverty. So, things related to schools, increases in public health funding. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earlier this year, the expansion of the earned income tax credit. All of these things help make our state a more equitable place. You know, one of the things that we've talked about a lot that's getting a lot of buzz is our declining population. From the league's perspective, if we want to address our declining population, we really need to address issues of inequity. And we see the budget starting that process. So so what in this budget jumps out to you as maybe the the, the, the high points in terms of sure. addressing poverty and, and inequality? Sure. So one of the biggest is the shift in how we fund schools. So one, we see a 5% increase in the base pure pupil uh, funding. So that's exciting. That helps school districts all across the state. And then we, sh- we see a shift to a weighted school funding formula. So yes. that looks like paying at school districts that have high concentrations of poverty. This applies to both uh, rural communities as well as places like the city of Detroit to address and recognize that that students that are living in poverty have more needs and we can start addressing those there. We also see increases in special education, uh, students for that are English language learners, and those are significant. Those will go a long way to help making our, our schools and uh, increasing educational attainment in Michigan. Uh, school free school lunches and breakfasts across the state that's important for school districts that have uh, high rates of poverty but all students all districts have kids that live in poverty and so mm-hmm. that reduces that stigma that's associated with accessing those services uh, it helps alleviate burden so parents don't have to fill out more paperwork if they feel uncomfortable doing that and it makes sure kids get a healthy start in the morning as well as uh, in the afternoon We see increases in education, public health, all kinds of things related to poverty. So we're pretty excited. So I want to go back to the weighted school formula issue, which has has been something we've been talking about in Michigan for a long time. We had an entire commission that that did research into the subject and came up with recommendations and they kind of got put up on a shelf Uh for a long time. It's I, I, I think it's huge that this budget leans into that in a Mm -hmm. way that we haven't seen before. This idea that uh, 
equity is the goal, not just uh, equality and or, or e- just not equal funding. Right. Everyone doesn't need the same number of dollars to achieve the same outcomes. Right. And we are very excited about this. So it's a start. We think we can we should see increases in those weights. I mean, the 5% increase is a huge increase to that base funding but it doesn't quite match the rate of inflation. So we're making huge investments, recognizing that this is just a start and we can continue to build off of that in in future years. Yeah, Uh, The pre-K investment Mm -hmm. as well, uh, that's something that lots of organizations around the state have said is part of the growth agenda, right? Right. That, That early investments in our youth and children pay off in people staying here more. It, it pays off in attracting more people. This idea of growing more than we are right now, which is uh, one of the governor's priorities, is really tied to this mm-hmm. kind of investment. Right. So we are excited about the opportunity for a universal pre-K, but recognize that early childhood is not just preschool. It also includes child care providers. And so as we're rolling this out, we want to make sure that community-based programs have access to, the, to those pre-K dollars because we don't want to disrupt an already fragile ecosystem related to child care. And as we move four-year-olds from traditional child care providers into the K-12 system, you know, there is some risk that we're going to destabilize really vulnerable populations as well as vulnerable sm- small businesses. Yeah. So we think it's a very important investment, but we want to make sure that we're continuing to see investments like in this budget, paying for child care slots based on enrollment, not just attendance that helps stabilize that, increasing some of those subsidy rates, increasing um, access to the subsidy are are all very important things. Yeah. Uh, What about the issue of how we're spending these dollars, many of which are coming from the federal government as one-time investments versus things that we just decide we want to spend more money on uh, all the time. There's some real concern uh, among Republicans in particular that this budget maybe goes a little too far in terms of setting up expectations that we will be able to do things year after year and the money may not may not sustain. I, I would love to get your take sure. on how this budget okay. walks that line. Well, it's a dance. Uh, we want to make sure that we're investing in inequ- uh, issues related to equity and, and we need to start doing those if we're always worried about how how it's going to look 10 years from now or five years from now, we're never going to be able to start. And so shifting to issues related to poverty, the weighted school funding, some of these investments in healthcare, um, they were made based on, on ongoing projections. I think those were solid projections by, based on shifts in, in how we spend money at the state and uh, our tax revenues. Um, and then we looked at using one-time investments, I think, in a pretty smart way. So not everything in the budget in that $80.5 billion is just focused on uh, ongoing spending. There's a lot of one-time things in there. Yeah, yeah. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, I... Uh we just keep hearing about how our population is aging and uh, how that's going to pose a lot of problems. Plus, we all have, uh, you know, kids went to college and kind of hate to see them leaving. But, you know, Amazon should have taught us a lesson that um, high-speed public transportation, something that, sorry, I was running, um, young people really want and need as a part of their life. And we're graduating from some of the best universities here, and our kids are leaving and we want them to stay, and the cost of auto insurance is still outrageous, even though supposedly the Democrats and Republicans agreed on how that should change. So um, I think for our business climate to improve and to be able to retain, uh, not have the brain drain, we really should focus on high-speed public transportation, Mm. in addition to all the wonderful things that I've heard so far. Um, Robert. Uh, Robert, I, I absolutely agree. And, and you know, one of the things that's true also, though, is that the state budget is kind of a tricky place to deal with with uh, with transit, especially the kind of transit that we're really awful at in Michigan, which is local and regional uh, transit. But, Monique, uh, talk uh, about what this budget does with with things like transit mm-hmm. and what you would like to see 
the state do? Sure. So transit is essential. Uh, we, we think that's important both for populations in Michigan, especially for individuals that are low-income low earners and have ac- difficulty getting access to transportation. It's a regional way that we can improve our economy. We see that in better economies across the state. So you see the start of some investments. But going back to that question around and the comment around our population decline, we at the League believe that there's not a silver bullet in terms of a addressing some of the issues related to our aging population. We need multiple things, um, transit being an important part of it, uh, you know, strong urban communities, strong rural communities, but, but really at the heart of what we see is issues related to inequity. So if we want to improve the law, uh, Michigan to attract people, we need to address issues like concentration of poverty, access to quality schools, improving our water infrastructure, all of these things that we've been talking about for a long time, if we can strengthen our state overall, we believe that we'll be able to attract more people to Michigan and most importantly, improving the lives of people that already live in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. So they have achieved a lot in this Mm -hmm. budget and Democrats, uh, with the control that they have in the legislature, have gotten a lot of other things done in a very short period of time. I wonder if you have ideas, though, for what they should be doing next. Mm-hmm. What else is on the agenda? And what about the budget? Uh, this is the first budget. Uh, they will at least get uh, another opportunity to do it before there's another election. What what things are still left undone in terms of resetting priorities? Sure. So one of our biggest priorities at, at, the, at the League is related to our social safety net and improving issues related to poverty. Michigan, unfortunately, spends our TANF dollars, temporary assistance for needy families. It's the cash assistance program. We spend such few of those dollars on direct assistance Mm -hmm. to families. It's only about 13% of the total TANF budget that goes to the program, and only 6% actually goes to those cash payments. Uh, Some of those dollars are spent on important things like child welfare. Uh, We actually use it to spend uh, dollars for for college scholarships, so important things, but not the purpose of TANF. And what we really believe is that we need to strengthen our social safety net, help people uh, when they're at their most vulnerable times in their lives uh, have achieve a level of stability, so they're able to ach- uh, uh, obtain stronger and better paying jobs. So we really want to see some significant reforms to our social safety net system. Yeah, yeah. You know, in years past, we also spent a lot of time talking about the corrections budget mm-hmm. in Michigan, which is one of the largest line items mm-hmm. historically. I, I haven't heard much about what this budget does with corrections. Are we continuing to draw that down? There was a point at which we were spending more per year on corrections than we were on K-12 uh, education, uh, which always blew my mind, right, that, right. that stat. I haven't heard much about what what happens in this budget. Yeah, so I don't have the corrections numbers in front of me, but there's continued investments and in, in things, that, from my understanding, are around reentry programs, things like uh, the Prisoner Reentry Initiative, or otherwise known as Offender Success. There's uh, been in some investments in, in I believe, uh, staffing in in the prison. Um, what we we believe it. it at the league is, is that we need to do preventative issues. So some of these public health programs, education, help uh, prevent people from going into prison, and then ensuring that when people are leaving prison, they have access to the services they need. So access to uh, the social safety net, access to food assistance, access to high quality housing. So they're able to, to re-engage in their community, re-engage in the community, and um be able to become self-sufficient and and have a more uh, st- stable life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were talking with State Rep. John Roth from Traverse City uh, mm-hmm. about his opposition to the budget. He's a Republican. He mm-hmm. does not love the priorities that are set here or the process. But he said something that I thought was really interesting about the differences between northern Michigan and the rest of the state, but also commonalities mm-hmm. that he sees between issues that we have in places like Detroit and issues that they have in some rural communities. I wonder what you make of that opportunity to, to make more of those right. connections and, and be able to have more of a statewide conversation about some of these things. It does seem frequently like it's posed as an either or. Mm-hmm. We're going to get something or they're going to get something. And it's not seen as a statewide issue. 
Exactly. So if you go in rural Michigan, if you go in an urban area, if you go in Metro Detroit, issues of transportation, access to housing, crumbling infrastructure, they all get raised as our core issues that our residents are facing in Michigan. Uh, the solution to some of those problems look a little different. So mm -hmm. busing in the UP, access to transportation, it's going to look different than it is going to look in Grand Rapids or Detroit or Flint. Uh, access to crumbling infrastructure, you know, the lead service lines, those, all those issues are important across the state. And, and what we need is, is to engage and connect with some of these vulnerable populations that have been historically left out and try to, to strengthen those relationships rather than dividing them. And with when we have one of those equal voices and are speaking from one voice, there's a lot, there's a lot of power there. Yeah. Okay, Monique Stanton, CEO and President of the Michigan League for Public Policy. Always great to hear from you. Thanks for coming by to talk about the budget. Great. Thanks for having me. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to kick off something special this summer on Fridays on Detroit Today. We are going to start playing some of our favorite shows from the past. Our producers and I have been looking over things that we've done and shows that we got a lot out of and that we think you got a lot out of. We're going to start replaying them on Fridays through August and September. This is 1019 WDTFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. questions about Detroit. Um, I'm wondering about the salt mines. I'm wondering what happens to all the yard waste and organic waste. And we've got answers on Curiosity, a podcast from WDET where we look into what makes Detroit Detroit, from the mile roads to the pheasants. Subscribe to Curiosity wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to ask your Detroit question at WDET.org slash curious.